Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coronation.com and hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Hooch Mahachko, and I'm joined by uh, a long, it feels like it's been a long time since we got together to chat, but uh, Haas Reuter. Wait, I'm, I'm almost thinking of rebranding the show, uh, the Five Heart Podcast with Hooch and Haas, or with Haas and Hooch. I don't want top billing necessarily, <laughs> um, but uh, the last time Haas was on the show a few weeks ago, my audio wasn't working, so it was the Haas and Ty show, and it was great. It was one of our most beloved uh, episodes of all time, but Haas, uh, it, it's good. I'm glad you can hear me, and uh, looking forward to a, a, another solid Husker conversation with you, buddy. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, and uh, you know... After last uh, time that when it was the Haas and Ty show to put in alphabetical order, uh, <laughs> and you were basically producing, I thought of a great analogy. Okay, for that whole phenomenon. And for you, I mean, I'm I'm the newcomer to you know this podcast, relative newcomer. And I thought to myself, not with you not being able to have your audio work, but you were able to communicate with us, had to be a lot like riding shotgun in your own car. Am I right? I would almost venture to say more like sitting in the back seat. Um, And and reason being is because at least, you know, anytime I've ever ridden in the back seat, you know, a lot of times all the conversation is, you know, in the front seat and and, and the back seat person has got to be like, what was that? What'd you say? Because the conversation is, is in front of them. So I would, yeah, I would, I mean, it's close. I would almost venture to say though. Yeah. That, yeah. I was sitting in the back seat and, and you and Ty were like mom and dad sitting up front having a conversation. And I'm just like, <laughs> what, what was that? What, what am I getting for Christmas? That That's, you, you know, early on in that uh, episode, it was a little interesting. Um, I just kind of was like, all right, okay, this is how it's going to go. And uh, we'll kind of, it was like Michael Scott in the office. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and not even know where it's going to end up. And that was basically that episode. And by about midway through that episode, I kind of hit my stride and started to feel, you know, comfortable uh, co-hosting it, you know, with Ty. And uh, yeah, that, that ended up being a lot of fun. Yeah, no, and, and, and you did great. Ty did great. Uh, and then, of course, a uh, week later, I had Ty on the show and we talked about the uh, women's, uh, you know, volleyball national championship and the final four, and them winning it all. And also had uh, uh, the newest coronation uh, member on in uh, Rick, and and we talked all about recruiting. Um, that was a, a great conversation in last week's episode, there just before Christmas, because we talked about some of the players who uh, were joining the Huskers. Uh, you know, in the early signing period today, or at least, you know, this week, depending on, you know, when you're hearing this folks, we're going to talk about at least one player we know who's not going to be uh, wearing the scarlet and cream in 2018. Uh, And the, the word came down out of Lincoln, I believe it was Thursday of this week. And Tanner Lee is, uh, is jumping Jumping ship to the NFL draft and and uh, declaring, uh, you know, for the pros. What what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I thought uh, from from when Frost was hired and leading up to when Frost was hired and that two month long coronation up until his hiring, I thought that Lee doesn't really fit what Frost wants to do with the quarterback run game component, especially in the red zone where even numbers and adding an extra ball carrier, an extra blocker, an extra gap with the quarterback run game is at a premium, that we would be able to kind of take that somewhat limited mobility, like uh, Connor Cook from Michigan State a few years back, and uh, tailor it and, you know, run some zone read or some inverted veer quarterback draw in, you know, a few spots, you know, third and three or 
red zone areas. Um, but it would really turn into having to tailor the offense to throwing run pass options, RPOs off of the run game, thus taking away the quarterback run. And um, I thought that the tailoring could be done, but seeing that announcement, you know, it just kind of lends some credence to, although Frost said he'd be happy to have Lee and he'd be his guy and they'd roll with it from there, that, Ultimately, Lee must have just felt like it was in his best decision to go pro instead of either learning a new offense, a new system under Frost, or transferring elsewhere and learning a new system. So I think for both parties involved, it's the best uh, possible outcome. And it's it's funny if you think about it because you know we were thinking, even discussing, probably right here on the Five Heart Podcast uh, as late as you know fall practices oh wow you know Tanner Lee he's he's the kind of quarterback that Mike Riley wants and you know it's not Tulane he could have the kind of breakout year where you know he could be essentially one and done he he had a year to learn the program learn the system now he could you know have a a superstar year on the field and you know, declare for the NFL draft. So it it didn't work out necessarily the way that that we kind of thought it might. Um, But, you know, at the end here, just before the end of the calendar year 2017, he makes that announcement. What, with, with the, you know, the, the players that are coming back, uh, you know, the, the Patrick O'Brien's, the Tristan Gebbia's, and the players that are coming in, uh, Adrian Martinez, how do you see the depth chart? I mean, is it is it right now just up in the air? Anybody can grab it? Or did Frost and company go after Martinez because he's what they're looking for? Well, I think they went... I think they went after Martinez because that's what they're looking for. But ultimately, I think that um, Tristan Gebbia and Patrick O'Brien both could be serviceable in this offense, with Gebbia being more than serviceable. You ran the same, that Oregon-type offense at Calabasas in high school. And uh, he, showed, he showed in the spring game last year, that, or this past year, that he can run a little bit you know, on zone reads and some draws and just scramble out of containment. And so, with at, as far as the quarterback position is concerned, because everyone's starting from the same blank slate in terms of learning the offense, I think it's up in the air. But I kind of lean more towards your possible starting our possible starting quarterbacks in 2018 being either Tristan Gebbia or uh, Adrian Martinez. What does that do? For someone like P.O.B. who has, you know, spent his time in Lincoln and, uh, you know, not seen a a ton of playing time, um, but has continued to... Nice push, by the way. um, But has... Ooh. um, But who has continued to, you know, obviously made the choice to come to Lincoln, you know at least as we know of right now, stay in Lincoln. Is it another situation situation where he's potentially odd man out? Yeah. Um, I think you're looking at that possibility. I will say one of the things that bodes really well for POB is he does have mobility. Um, as a senior in high school, he ran for close to 800 yards. And the other thing is what I noticed in, you know, the spring game, attending spring practice at the coaches' clinic, and then you know in the game against Minnesota when he saw his first extended action, is that he has a pretty quick trigger on making decisions as far as checkdowns go on the quick passes. And in Frost's offense, a premium's going to be placed on those quick decisions. You know, processing information, uh, what a conflict defender who we're keying does on a certain play, like an RPO. Um, the flat defender slides out versus the flat defender, you know, crashing inward, you know, uh, throwing a flat route versus throwing a snag route. 
And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there's a place for him, but just kind of basing off of uh, what I think in terms of talent evaluation, which should take that for what it's worth, of course, um, I lean more towards Gebbia or uh, Adrian Martinez. Still trying to get familiar with having the name Adrian Martinez on the quick recall. Are you going with uh, A-Mart or A-Magic or? You, no, I, you know, I will say in the spirit of full disclosure here, which is a term I use often on this podcast, I'm still trying to get over the PTSD of having another Martinez as quarterback. <laughs> so that's going to be, that's going to be a little interesting. What, um, I, I've, I've got to ask you this because it, and I say this, it, 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 we talked before we started recording and, and because it's Friday night, it's late. Um, I've, my computer was doing an update while it was doing that. I was dozing off on the couch. I finally come to and you're like, are you conscious, dude? Are you alive? Are we still doing this tonight type of thing? So before we started recording, I'm like, you know what? This has a chance to be one of the shorter uh, episodes. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask the question I know in my heart I shouldn't ask if I want a short conversation. Um, but you were awfully excited about Coach Austin coming in and handling offensive line duties. Break it down for me. What has it, and again, you are, man, you're our O-line geek, for lack of a better term. And I say, that, I say that with endearment. Um, but uh, what is it about the way he operates things that, that has you so excited? Well, first off, you know, learning him learning under Chip Kelly, and learning the inside outside zone and how to teach it properly in how in the count system which they use which I'll detail in an article over the off season is that he, he's a very good teacher of offensive line play um, technique uh, attitude energy and that's something that's missing greatly from our offensive lines you know through basically Barney Cotton Dennis Wagner, Barney Cotton again, John Garrison, Mike Cavanaugh. And those three things, technique, attitude, energy, those those are cornerstones of good offensive line play. And him being a being very good at, you know, teaching those things is something that we're finally going to be able to develop in our offensive line. And the biggest thing is you want to have a coach who has, you know, energy you don't want it like pj fleck running up and down the sideline that's just nauseating (laughs) but you want to have somebody who gets players excited um you don't want like i've seen practices taking place with the offensive linemen where they're standing around for minutes you know minutes on end with not being engaged not being in drills not you know actively getting better and so having a coach that brings the juice as my favorite term is, and uh, just really gets guys, you know, you know, excited to play and holds them accountable in the weight room, like he is going to do, you know, with the help of Zach Duvall and the rest of the strength staff, is something that is sorely needed for our offensive line. And beyond that, looking at our offensive line personnel, our, our offensive line personnel fits better into Scott Frost's scheme, you know, the space and pace. Uh, spread to run attack than it really did in Mike Riley's pack it in tight, you know, 11, 12, 13 personnel and run it, you know, up the middle on our run plays, you know, like duo and counter and um, inside zone where one missed block, the play is dead. Well, he spread it out. One missed block, the ball carrier still got room to operate in space and, can you know, correct that missed block. And so just those things all together, you know, instill, being a great teacher of technique, instilling, you know, energy, attitude, toughness, you know, accountability in the weight room, accountability on the practice field. And I think that our, our offensive line is much more well-suited to be good in this offensive attack. And, you know, just looking at the depth chart, you know, and the talent that we have at our disposal, heading into this year 
and kind of, you know, because I'm the kind of person that I don't play fantasy football, you know, but Name when I that. on the pen and notebook, I'm, you know, kind of pl- playing my own brand of fantasy football. I'm thinking, okay, you, got, you slide Brendan Hymas over left tackle. You got Bo Wilson at left guard, Michael Decker at center, you know, Gerald Foster and Nick Gates, you know, Nick Gates will be moved to guard, but, you know, Gerald Foster and Nick Gates can be in the running at one of the guard spots. You got Matt Farniak at a guard spot, John Raritan at a guard spot or backup center. And then you got guys like Matt Sichterman who redshirted last year and Chris Walker who redshirted as offensive tackles both. And I'm looking at it and I go, okay, you got the archetypes and the general athleticism that you want in this offense. It's going to be predicated on movement and, you know, zone blocks and, you know, pulling and down blocks. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, with, you know, if we develop these guys, we could actually put together some pretty good, okay, I won't say pretty good because, you know, Nebraska fans have a tendency to extrapolate pretty good into being the second coming of the pipeline, (laughs) but myself included. But, um, you know, you have a potential to be a pretty serviceable offensive line. Offensive line is actually one of the few spots because Frost only runs about five basic blocking schemes. That's not five basic plays, but five basic blocking schemes that all the additional plays are layered upon into a game. And once you master those... You, you develop a sort of a complex simplicity where it's simple for you, but it's complex for the defense. And that allows those guys to, you know, play fast and physical and uh, aggressively. And, you know, one missed block, like I said, isn't going to kill an entire play. As you mentioned there, uh, you know, Michael Decker, who did not start at center to, to begin this past season, but certainly earned the spot. Uh, I think Cole Conrad, air quotes, got hurt. Um, you know, Cole Con- sorry to interrupt, but Cole Conrad's another guy that I could see him developing into a decent guard because when he was at right tackle in 2016, I really liked his footwork. Um, functional strength-wise at center, he's not a guy that can really root out a nose guard or a shaded one technique. And so you move him back to guard and, you know, you got yourself a pretty good utility offensive line. Another name that uh, Rick mentioned in last week's show, uh, who just signed his LOI, is another Farniak, uh, who is a tried and true center. And you know, Rick thinks that, and again, this is more speculation, but thinks that if he doesn't come in and compete right away within the next couple of years, he could be really be a, a stable foundation at center for that offensive line. You know, as he again learns the system grows matures and, and things like that but but uh you know what what's your i'm trying to figure out the right word did does that get your hopes up to hear that there could be two farniox on the offensive line at one time it does um i think uh will farniox you know he's about 260 pounds right now and few years ago, I was at Nebraska Spring Coaches Clinic, where his head coach, Chad Statham from Sioux Falls, I believe Washington, uh, high school spoke, and he talked about Will Farniak as potentially being better than all the all of his older brothers. And I, You know, you want offensive linemen who are ready to play, of course, but there's also the other archetype of offensive linemen that need to come into a program and need to develop in the weight room. And being, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 260 pounds, and he's played center at a very high level. I believe they won the state championship up in South Dakota tonight, what I saw on Twitter previous to us reporting. Um, There's that potential to develop because, you know, I'm a big believer that centers need to be dyed in the wool centers. They need to play that position from a young age because there's, you know, the physical, you know, component of that position, especially dealing with, you know, the snap count, the line calls, dealing with a uh, nose guard or a shaded nose to either side. And um, I just think that it's important to have that experience of playing that center position and then developing your body into being a Division One center. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, center is one of those positions that if he gets up to 280, 285 pounds, while he might be a little bit undersized compared, comparatively speaking to the rest of the offensive line, 
um, it still bodes well, especially in a frost type scheme where the center is going to pull out to the perimeter a lot on sweep plays like pin and pull or some versions of buck sweep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, file it away by, you know, 2020, 2021, Will Farniak might be a pretty damn good center for us. Another thing that, that while we're talking offensive line and uh, not just offensive line, this I think goes, you know, for, for the entire team, but uh, uh, the strength and conditioning coach, under Mike Riley was Mark Phillips, correct? Mm-hmm. Always saw him on the sideline. He had that juice, as you like to put it. But where where were his shortcomings? And I'm not ripping on the guy. I mean, I you know just like re- the rest of Riley and, and his staff, I, you know, wish him all well. But this is wh- all clinical. Where were where were his shortcomings from the strength and condition? Because at times it seemed like especially up front trenches on both sides the 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 players weren't quite as physical as they needed to be well i think first off and i think this was kind of hinted at things with sean eichhorst policy of disciplining players at the upper level of administration like what's been talked about post firing of sean eichhorst i think that strength coaches and position coaches weren't given the license that they are basically granted as a right as a coach to discipline players and hold them accountable. Um, I think too many times players didn't do what was expected of them and the the strength coaches and the position coaches didn't have the ability to uh, use a little bit of tough love to make them accountable. You know, extra lifting sessions, extra running, you know, extra grill work, you know, staying after practice. So I think one of the biggest things is that lack of accountability, you know. And um, the other thing is I really think that Mark Phillip, you know, he talked a lot about at the coaches' clinic a few years ago about Olympic lifts from the ground, you know, working on squats and cleans and developing that, you know, lower body uh, fast twitch muscle explosion. Um, I think the big thing, and you saw this with, the rash of soft tissue injuries that we had in 2015, a lot of groin injuries, a lot of hamstring injuries. I think that there wasn't enough of an emphasis on lower joint mobility, ankles, knees, and hips. And that's, you know, that's a cornerstone of good offensive line play. You got to be able to bend at all three of the lower extremity joints to be a successful offensive lineman. And so, and then you saw that also with the receivers, like Brandon Riley and his hamstring issues that he had through 2015, 2016. I think that a lot of it, and if, you know, the listeners out there will pardon the crass expression, a lot of it comes down to I don't know if squats were, you know, mandated by the strength staff, strength staff to be asked to grasp, meaning. You break parallel, your ass damn near touches the ground before you come back up on the squats because that'll develop good hamstring strength, you know, reduce hamstring injuries, pulls, tears, you know, strains. And so I think that it's kind of a confluence of lack of accountability, lack of, you know, working on lower joint mobility, you know, lower extremities, and just really not emphasizing the quality of the movement as opposed to just how much weight you could move on this lower body from the ground Olympic lifts. Can can I just point out the fact that a moment ago you apologized in advance for using the word ass on the Five Heart podcast? Yeah, I, I try to keep it clean. First of all, you don't have to worry about it. Um, anybody going back to and I say this with love uh, and endearment, but uh, anybody going back to the BT days, he he, he did not hesitate to uh, to let his you know emotions and feelings out through uh, colorful language. Um, and certainly between the two of us, we we've not hesitated to to, to let a a four letter word uh, fly from time to time. So the fact that you said you know. Pardon me, this is going to sound a little crass. And, and and just to say from ass to grass, come on, Hoss. It's a Friday night, and 
we all know you've had a little bit of whiskey tonight, so you don't well, have to hold back. As, as you, it's funny you mention that because as someone who learned the uh, some of my favorite vocabulary words, the four-letter words from my brother when I was about in kindergarten and <laughs> first grade, uh, my language on this podcast is a stark difference from my language in real life, you know, except around, you know, women um, or my mom, you know, for that matter. I try to keep it pretty clean. Uh, I, I honestly, around my mom, I'd rather drop the F-bomb than say a GD it because she's a good Catholic woman. Never said GD in front of my parents. Uh, never dropped the F-bomb in front of my mom. I think I've done it around my dad once on the golf course. Um, but uh, the A word, the S word, the B word, uh, those have flown out at various times depending on my mood in front of mom and dad. And they, they just, I don't think they care. But um, You know, there was one, there was one time, and it was probably, I think it was like my 19th birthday. So this is going, you know, almost a decade back now. God, I feel old. But, um, we were setting up, my birthday was on Thanksgiving that year, and we were setting up for Thanksgiving. We were hosting it at my parents' house. And I dropped something. And I, I think I said, like, oh, heck, you know, or something. You know, something real, you know, innocuous. And my dad just looked at me and goes, Ryan, you're 19. You can swear. And so after that, you know, I kind of had, you know, license to swear in front of him, you know. But um, I try to limit the F-bombs around, you know, my mom. Uh, other women in my life, of course, and then. But uh, last year on the infamous Wisconsin game that went into overtime, we got totally screwed on the uh, no call pass interference where TJ Watt mugged Jordan Westerkamp. We had a house full of people for a Halloween party, and I cussed up a blue streak with a lot of four letter words, right? And I didn't realize that my at that point eighty one year old grandmother was sitting right behind me and uh, yeah that was that was quite the interesting thing to get up off the ground after slapping the floor about not getting that call to realize oh wow grandma's sitting right behind me i uh i, I got a little fired up a few weeks back uh in a certain nfl game um when mm. my steelers were taking New England on patriots yeah you know you know when they overturned that obvious touchdown um, hey, even as a quasi-Patriots fan, that was the wrong call to overturn that touchdown. Well, thank you. And most people You're agree. Um, it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, now it's, yeah, it, it, it's all going. It, the, the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Foxborough. So, some bitch. Um, I, I'll tell you, this this one this one's a quick uh, anecdote. Before we get talking, because I know you mentioned uh, on, I believe it was on Twitter, but it might have been on Facebook. Uh, I think it was on Facebook now that I think about it, um, that you want to talk briefly about the NFL playoffs. Um, Yeah, I I remember sitting in my parents' living room and watching TV with my dad, and he said something funny, and I was heading to the kitchen to get something to drink or something like this. I, I was a grown adult out of the house, things like that, so I think we were over there you know visiting cookout something like that he said something made me laugh and and probably a little dig at me or something like that so i'm walking by you know i've got my my left hand the one that he can see down at my side and i'm flipping him the bird you know it pointed down he just laughed that's good times uh but yeah most of the time when we're cussing it's because we're on the golf course um so yeah let's talk briefly about those damn nfl playoffs coming up um this weekend right now is the final weekend of the regular season. Um, what, what do you want to talk about, Hoss? Because I did not. I'll say this: because it was Christmas, because I spent the first more than the first half on the road. I did not watch the Steelers uh, play the Texans, um, but I know they got the Browns this weekend, and I would really like for them to beat the Browns and complete the Browns' winless season because we haven't had that since the Lions. You know, went, you know, 0 for 16 a few years ago. So that'd be fun because I hate the Browns. Um, oddly enough, though, not as much as I hate the Patriots. You know, that, that's pretty common occurrence throughout the NFL. What, what is it about? It seems like the only people who, you know, there's no, there's no gray area with the Patriots. You either 
are a Patriots fan or you loathe their existence entirely? Well, I will say this. From the time I started following football as an 11-year-old, which was the same year the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Spygate. I despised the Patriots. I absolutely despised them. And, I mean, it was to the point, like, I'd see them on TV in games, root against them. I'd see them in the Super Bowl against, you know, the Eagles and or the Panthers in 03, the Eagles in 04, um, the Giants both times, I'd root against them. And then there was kind of a, uh, I guess I would say an enlightening moment a few years back in uh, January 14 when they were playing the Colts in the playoffs. The week after, and I'm a, you know, since birth, a Chiefs fan, I saw, you know, I was watching the Patriots play the Colts a week after the Chiefs gave up a 38-10 to lead to the Colts and lost 45-44. So, of course, I was rooting against the Colts. And uh, I was sitting there, I was watching New England, and I was kind of paying attention to their game management and their play calling and, you know, situational football. And I started realizing, wow, you know, they really, they, they play the game the way it should be played. And so, I, you know, I, I started kind that's of, a, you know. That's fake news, like by the, the way. like the when his heart starts growing. Nope. Uh, I, I started liking him a little bit, and then. The next year, I remember watching them in the playoffs when uh, they beat Indiana or Baltimore, and then Indianapolis in the AFC title game, Deflate Gate, mm-hmm. and then Seattle in the Super Bowl. And that was kind of where I was like, you know what? It's wrong to have two AFC teams that I like, but damn it, I don't care. I like the way New England plays football. I like Belichick's way of, you know, managing a game, playing situational football, coaching good situational football. I still don't like Tom Brady. But, um, you know, that's kind of where it took off to the point where if, you know, the Chiefs or if the Patriots aren't playing the Chiefs, I'll root for the Patriots. My thing with the Patriots, and I'll, I'm sure I'll catch hell for this um, or not phrase it. Entirely. Let it all out, Greg. Right. I mean, because I do hate their very existence. Um, that's cool. I hate the Denver Broncos. Fair enough. Uh, and, and you've also alienated a larger chunk of our audience than my hatred of the Patriots. But pretty much the entire three oh eight. There it, at no point have I ever said that the Patriots are a bad team or that they're a poorly run franchise. But I think that there are too many incidents yeah. to where you can put them in the upper echelon of I will never, ever, ever consider Tom Brady the greatest of all time. Um, he is. No. I, I, I would put Joe Montana. Joe Montana is still the greatest of all time. Um, For my time. Right, but it, exactly. It was a different time. It was a time when the quarterbacks got hit. Um, and, and, you know, I, as, a, as a kid, I, I read a book. Received a book as a gift about Joe Montana. It was it was kind of like, you know, uh, and a bit of a biography, but it was written, you know, to kids. I mean, it, it was it was for a kids level. It's not like I was, you know, so it wasn't about like players chugging beers and you know or swallowing bikes no, and I mean, washing them down with beer. It, 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 no, it was things like. Um, you know, when when he was a kid, when when Joe Montana was a kid, he was, you know, they had a tire swing in the backyard, and his dad would push the swing side to side, and Montana would throw the football, and and for to build his accuracy, would would have to throw it through the moving tire swing. It was, you know, when when he was playing essentially pee wee football, he uh you know wanted to quit in the middle of the season, but his dad's like, that's not how we do things in this family. You're gonna ride it through if you don't want to play next year fine but I'm not going to let you break a commitment in the middle of the season so he would finish the season and then he'd you know next year he'd play again and and uh you know everything uh you know the the adversity of essentially breaking his back and having to uh you know come back from that and and still winning four Super Bowls and and uh not having any what's the any uh, shadows or 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 any air of inauthenticity about it. There, like I said, with with Brady, there are too many 
and I I'm, I caught hell for this on online, but it was, uh, uh, you know, there, going all the way back to, I believe it was the AFC Championship game uh, against the Raiders. If it wasn't the AFC Championship game, it would have been, you know, the divisional round, but the tuck rule, um, you know, and then you have Spygate, then you have Deflategate, and it, it just everything, anything that could fall and, and, and go the way of the Patriots has always gone the way of the Patriots. Any any bit of, um, of I, I don't know, like going back to that, and, and again, this is this part here is going to sound completely biased, and I know that, and I I accept it. But going back to uh, a few weeks ago, that that play, you know, they call it a a touchdown on the field against the Steelers, and we need the uh, what, what's the phrase that they like to use um, to overturn it? it has to be I, I can't think of it now, but you're smarter than me, Hoss. Um, what is it? Uh... Must complete the action of the right, but but there was I mean the, there's the in in any in any challenge they have to have uh, incontrovertible oh, proof or something. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, and and the announcers didn't see it, and then it, it happened again the next week uh, to whoever they were playing. Um, you know the the week after that the oh, Buffalo the Bills. Yeah, so it just it seems like any. Any toss-up always magically goes, uh, you know, their way. And I got a kick out of this, and we're going off on a tangent here, but uh, James Harrison was released by the Steelers ahead of last Saturday or last Sunday's game, Christmas uh, game, and, you know, had to clear waivers. And the general thought was they did it to open up a roster spot for a right tackle who, you know, was healthy and was coming back and, you know the the general uh, generally accepted idea was that after the game he was going to be brought back onto the team. Well, the Patriots picked him up, uh, picked up James Harrison, and the and he tweets out a picture of him and Tom Brady, and it's like ah, that's not really a smiling duo I ever thought I you know you would see. Um, but the the funny thing that I saw about it was uh, uh, Steelers fans know that Harrison's been much maligned and you know very often the recipient of a random drug test because he was, you know, up until this year producing at a high level at a higher age than most linebackers. Um, so the joke was all of a sudden now that he's with the Patriots, the random drug tests are going to suddenly stop. Um, you know, things like that. That's a joke. But it's just like every every time there's a toss-up, it always favors the Patriots. And so that's why I'll never consider them a Dynasty franchise, and it breaks my heart because I I want to root for Rex Burkhead, and I want to root for Vincent Valentine, but I can't if they're on that team. Fair enough. Um, I will say that even as someone who likes the Patriots, that there are there are some inconsistencies with officiating, and um. Depending on who you root for, they might delve into the realm of malfeasances at the NFL um, administrative level, and I—that's that, one of the things that even I was—I was watching the Pittsburgh New England game with some friends, and when Jesse James made that catch that was called a touchdown, ostensibly appeared as a touchdown, I was kind of beside myself, you know, not figuring out or not really being able to figure out why that was being reviewed or, you know, I get the review part, but why it was overturned just because of the fact that it's like, okay, you know, his knees down at the one, he's not down by, you know, contact from another player. Mm -hmm. The ball crosses the plane with my understanding of football. Second, that ball crosses the plane. It's dead. It's over. You know, doesn't have to break the, back line of the plane just has to break the front line of the plane so for them to have that inconsistency it was kind of one of those things where it's like okay that that's pretty suspicious you know for calls like that to consistently go New England's way I, I will lend credence to that you know I, I don't disagree with that because I thought it was the wrong call and the NFL is a problem figuring out what's a catch and uh, in just in general, but I mean, 
come on. I mean, you slow it down to that point of, you know, half speed, quarter speed, you know, anything's going to look like an incompletion. So, yeah, I I agree with you. You know, they they are the beneficiary of a lot of calls. I didn't want to spend that much time talking about them. Not out of, you know, not not for because of my disdain for them, but because, you know, the, the general idea was we were going to talk about the NFL playoffs or at least the NFL playoff picture here briefly. Um, you know, let's talk, I, I guess we need to talk briefly about the NFC because that's been a, a fun one to watch kind of all season long. Uh, Philadelphia, can they do it with Nick Foles? <laughs> you know, every part of their team is pretty solid. Every other facet, but ultimately, in the NFL, the big deciding factor in any game, especially in the playoffs, is quarterback play. I don't think they can do it with Foles. In that case, let's talk about Minnesota because who would have thought that Case Keenum would have been, you know, name that that we were talking about as far as leading a team to the kind of season that they've had. Yeah, I mean. As someone, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're an Amazon subscriber, but I on am. Amazon Instant Video, they have that all or nothing series, kind of like Hard Knocks, but they actually follow a team through the entire season instead of just training camp. And last year's uh, season, they followed the Rams. And watching Keenum behind the scenes and watching Keenum in games last year, um, he you would have never figured that he would actually put it all together to be a more than serviceable quarterback for the Vikings. And uh, just kind of goes on to prove that Jeff Fisher is the angel of death for quarterbacks. I mean, he had Case Keenum and Jared Goff on the same roster, and he couldn't figure it out. And uh, now both of them are you know playing at a pretty high level. And uh, – Ultimately, I still think Minnesota's got some weaknesses, and I don't think that they'll play a Super Bowl on their home field. But, you know, the resurgence, I don't even know if you call it a resurgence, but just the uh, the performance that Keenum's had this year is something that I did not expect after that 2016 season he had with the Rams. And it's funny, uh, as we kind of segue to the Rams uh, and Jared Goff, being that I'm close to St. Louis and I know plenty of, you know, football fans from this area who were Rams fans, I know that, you know, the the question in their heart is, oh, if if they would have gotten rid of Jeff Fisher a few years ago, maybe brought somebody else in who could do something with not just the defense that they had, which was stout, but, I mean, you had a young Todd Gurley at the time, uh, you had some weapons on offense get somebody at at the head coach position who could do something with them um maybe the attendance goes up and quite possibly they stay in St. Louis and then there's always this more cynical group that says it didn't matter they could sell out they could win 3 Super Bowls in a row but Stan Kroenke wanted to be in Los Angeles so he was moving the team to Los Angeles so let's talk about the Rams because Nobody expected them after last year. Nobody expected them to uh, sit atop the NFC West. Yet here they are. Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, Sean McVay taking over in LA, just really injecting some energy into kind of a you know stale franchise. And as a play caller, he's really accentuated you know the strengths of that team, running the ball. A lot of screens, play actions, RPOs, easy throws for Jared Goff. And, I mean, the defense was never really in question with Jeff Fisher. They always, you know, a lot of pieces were in place, Alec Ogletree, Aaron Donald. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like you knew that whoever they got after Jeff Fisher, they were going to be better, but I don't think anyone expected this resurgence this quickly. And then jumping down to um, the NFC South, and that one has been, I'll tell you what, at the beginning of the season, I think all the teams struggled and nobody was 
jumping out in front and wanting to, uh, you know, claim that division as their own. Lo and behold, now you've got the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers who are all, you know, competitive in the last half of the season and, and really making that a fun race to watch. Yeah, and, you know, personally, I, I'm really of the opinion that I think New Orleans is probably the best team out of that division. It's probably the most primed to make a run in the playoffs just with Breeze still doing what Breeze does. And, you know, they got a really good run game behind it with, you know, Alvin Kamara and also Mark Ingram. And um, Atlanta, I think their experience in the playoffs from last year bodes well for them. They'll be able to, you know, they'll be ready for the challenges of a three, four game season as well as Carolina from two years ago. And, but like you said, you know, it's kind of surprising because they, neither those three teams played very well to start the season. And it actually kind of brings us back full circle to Husker football here. Um, I was talking with salt, you know, salt Creek and stadium on in the slack room and a message about how I think that Tanner Lee's best prospects in the NFL would probably come with getting a fit, you know, being drafted and finding a fit with, you know, New Orleans, with a decent offensive line, a run game to take the pressure off of him, or Atlanta, you know, as an heir apparent to, you know, Matt Ryan, or, you know, another team, you know, outside of that division would be um, Pittsburgh as an heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger with a good run game, good, uh, great offensive line that keeps a passer clean and receivers like Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant and a tight end like Jesse James who gain consistent separation. And um, so, yeah, there's our, we tie the, as Stephen King says, the denouement, tying it all together. Very interesting. Do you think that there's a team in the NFL that, that, as you said, bringing it back full circle, and, and we started this conversation with Tanner Lee. Um, do you think there's a team that's going to look at him and draft him, or do you think he's going to be a, a undrafted free agent? I mean, it, to say that his numbers are I, – I, his numbers aren't going to overwhelm anybody, um, but do you think that there's enough there that you know some of these scouts can see and – and say, hey, you know, maybe we can take a chance. And, and I, I say that again, coming from the area that I live, and uh, the St. Louis Post Dispatch is, is a big paper around here, obviously, and they cover Mizzou sports. And uh, someone like Drew Locke, who uh, had played in a much better offense, uh, their you know former offensive coordinators, Scott Frost's replacement at UCF, if that's any indication, um, and you know. The, what the scouts were saying is that someone like uh, Locke needs to stay in college for one more year. Is Tanner Lee good enough to be drafted? Yeah, I think he is. Um, the big thing is the NFL is not going to look at things that are beyond his control. Um, they're going to look at things like the measurables and um, throws he can make and um Honestly, Lee is a practice warrior in the NFL, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately in Lee's case, they look a little bit more at the measurables rather than the, you know, on paper performance that those guys put forth, you know. And so, I mean, basically if an NFL GM or a scout's going to put on film with Lee and they see interceptions where the ball's tipped up, you know, off of, a receiver into a DB's hands, like what happened against Oregon on the, you know, first series on that deep throw to Stanley Morgan or, you know, the where Stanley Morgan whiffs a block on, you know, Lurie against Northern Illinois pick six or uh, the pick six against Wisconsin where Divino Zigbo doesn't bubble his route back far enough or picks that occur because the pass protection is bad, they're going to look at those things and go, well, that's outside of Lee's control. Okay. You know, if he has time, he's a good quarterback. You know, he, he makes throws and he can fit it into a tight window. You put him into a system where he has, you know, those supporting pieces around him, that supporting cast, and you have a QB who could do some things in the NFL and do them at a very high level. And so I think that, um, 
I think. God, I'm kind of losing my train of thought all of a sudden. Um, I I just think that what he put forth on paper this year as a you know as a resume for the draft is really more of an indication of a lack of supporting cast, and that goes back even to when he's at Tulane. He never had a good offensive line in front of him. He never had a good run game, steady run game, you know, to help him. You know, I think things would have been a little bit different, even with a bad offensive line this year, if Trey Bryant would have stayed healthy. So I think that if NFL scouts and GMs take into account that the quarterback is not a self-contained unit, it's too dependent on other variables within the game, pass protection, the running game, receivers should be in separation. I think the NFL is going to, you know, teams are going to look very favorably upon him, and I think he's going to find a good fit. And he's, you know, quite honestly, he might take a bath uh, in terms of the contract being drafted later, but if he proves with those measurables that he can be a good quarterback, uh, he's going to make a lot of money on the second contract, and it would not shock me at all if he had a, a pretty good pro career. Before we get out of here, Hoss, one thing that I've wanted to include more in, in our podcast that, that uh, I hadn't thought of at the time to do, it's one of those things, um, you ever you ever get the, the thought, the idea, oh, I've got to call so-and-so, or I've got to set up an appointment for this or for that, uh, and at the time that you're thinking of it, you're unable to do so, be it you're driving or you're in the shower or, you know, wherever that thought comes to you. Uh, and then mm-hmm. when you have the opportunity to make that phone call or set up that appointment or whatever, whatever it's not on your mind, it's very much what the the scenario here, uh, something that I've wanted to do for a few weeks now, uh, probably since the beginning of December, um, just kept skipping my mind. And that's uh, touch briefly on some uh, Husker wrestling uh, this weekend, the 29th and 30th uh, of December. A few Huskers were participating, uh, competing in the 55th annual Ken Craft Midlands Championships uh, at the Sears Center Arena in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Um, and just a, a quick update on that: there's only one Husker remaining uh, to compete, and that is Mikey uh, Labriola. And he is at the 174-pound uh, uh, weight class. And uh, the other competitors uh, were uh, eliminated on Friday. But uh, Labriola is going to compete. Let's see if I can pull up the, the latest uh, tweet that I found here. Uh, he's still alive at 174 pounds in the, um, uh, what is it, the, uh, I don't want to say consolations. I don't know. It, it says in the C O N S I S. I don't know shorthand for wrestling. I, I'm not that smart. Uh, but he's going to face a uh, Iowa wrestler uh, tomorrow or uh, Saturday. I guess now that we're still recording this and we've gone much longer than I initially thought we would. Uh, it is Saturday officially, so he's going to be uh, taking on uh, Gunther from Iowa. And that starts at noon. That uh, that third session of the of the tournament there. So hope that uh, Labriola can get the win. And it always feels good to beat somebody from Iowa. Uh, but we haven't talked a whole lot of wrestling, and I know wrestling huge in uh, the great Cornhusker State. I I certainly uh, gained a a much deeper appreciation for it when I lived out in Shadron, and uh, wish uh, Mikey Labriola well as he goes on against uh, the. Uh, grappler from uh, that hated place to the east. So that's all I really had in that regard. Anytime you beat Iowa, it's a good thing. Anytime you can beat Iowa, it's a good day. So uh, after this uh, Midlands uh, Classic, you know, when they get back into duels and whatnot, we'll try to have more uh, regular, more consistent uh, stats and and results for you, but just wanted to throw that out there since it was fresh on my mind, Hoss. And uh, we, like you said, obviously you are—I I don't want to say fountain of youth, but uh, uh, a fountain of of surge soda or ski. We we like to talk about ski. Uh, what I'm saying is, man, you have woken me up, which is good because now I have to do all the post production and everything, um, and I don't want to fall asleep at the chair or on the couch and 
wake up at four o'clock and find that this stuff's undone. So, uh, appreciate it, man. We, I was anticipating, oh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Tanner Lee and we'll get out of there. It'll be about 15 minutes. Uh, here we are going almost an hour once again, buddy. Uh, always great conversation with you, Hoss. Hopefully I didn't keep you up too late on a Friday night, but uh, Friday night of New Year's weekend, I, I figure that's probably one night you can stay up a little bit later. Yeah, I don't. I, I basically have three Saturdays this weekend. I don't go back to work till Tuesday <laughs> and that's day off, so uh, it's all good. And, hey, you mentioned offensive line play with me, and, you know, it, it's bound to be – it might be like a college lecture, you know. I, I knew what I was getting into. I even set it up. I'm like, I don't really want this to be a half-hour conversation on the offensive line, but I'm going to ask you about the offensive line anyway, and here we were. <laughs> my life's work. Well, buddy, I appreciate uh, the time as always, and uh, uh, th- that's it. People can f- follow you on Twitter at Hoss Reuter. And uh, they can follow me on Twitter at thehooch36. They can follow the show on Twitter at the number five heart podcast is all spelled out all together. No spaces, obviously no underscores or hyphens. It's the number five heart podcast. And uh, then they can search us on Google or on Facebook as well. Uh, uh, five heart podcast and jitterymonkey.com coordination.com. Of course, uh, we'll have all all of those links at the bottom of this article on coordination and jitterymonkey.com because that's what we like to do. All of our social media contacts, uh, throw us a follow, interact with us uh, and say, Hey, uh, when are you guys going to talk about X? And then we'll talk about it on the next week's show. Uh, if you throw us a topic or a question, we will throw you an answer uh, or a conversation about it. And it doesn't even, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't even have to be football, Husker football, Husker sports related. If you want to ask us why we decided or how we decided that uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation was the most popular Christmas movie of all time, I'll be more than happy to give you a... Well, it is. In my mind, it's not. All right, I'll ask. What what's you what's your favorite Christmas movie? Muppets Christmas Carol. You know what? D- did you vote? Did you vote in the damn Nerds United Holiday Movie Grand Tournament? Because that was the I final. Did. That was the final. It was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation versus Muppet Christmas Carol. I did. And you know what? Even at 27 years old, I still love watching Muppets Christmas Carol and even from the time I was three years old and the Marley brothers scared the shit out of me on there. <laughs> Still love that movie. Just love the songs. We, uh, I, I found that one on HBO. Uh, we, we have HBO and I guess a couple of the premiums that we pay for. I, I don't know why, but I'm not complaining because game of Thrones and, and other things, but, but anyway, did not find that last year at Christmas time. It was last year at the end of January. I found it. We watched it. I actually set it on DVR so I had it on the DVR forever, never deleted it until I downloaded the HBO Go app and put that on my PlayStation so then I could watch it anytime I wanted, and it's still there. And we wore that thing out uh, in the month of December because just like you, uh, with the songs and everything, my son loves the music, and, and the Muppets are you know harmless, and so he'll just sit there, and I'll tell you what, you'll find this out someday. If you can get... A, a child of any age to sit still for an extended period of time that is heaven man and so he'll, he'll just sit there and he'll he'll watch he'll he'll you know watch michael kane and the muppets sing and dance and 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 uh so yeah that that one was partially that's why my wife voted for uh muppet christmas carol in the finale as well uh unfortunately the majority there went the other way and chose National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, it, it, it is what it is. But the good news is now we've answered that question. So, hey, folks, don't ask that question. We've already had that conversation. Throw us another topic, something else you want us to discuss on next week's show. We'll be more than happy to uh, spend a few minutes uh, addressing your question or or comment. Um, but that'll do it for this week's episode of the Five Heart Podcast. I'm Greg Mahochko. He's Hoss Reuter. I want to uh, remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. And they're doing it so far, I think. 
This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Thank you.